You guys, we're, uh, we're continuing in, in Matthew's gospel, and uh, we've called this the cross and the crown, and uh, last week we, we talked about how to deal with offense, and um, because it, the reality is um, in this world we're going to have offense, and Jesus in his loving wisdom for us didn't just come as this aloof, uh, kind of detached savior. He came not only fully God, but fully man. And in, in that, he, the, the Bible says that he experienced every temptation that we experience, yet he overcame it, and he never sinned, and that's why we're able to have our sins forgive, forgiven, um, because he was the perfect sacrifice. And, and yet, even though he was perfect, he knew that we aren't perfect, and he knew that we would wrestle in this life until we go to be in glory, until uh, our bodies and our minds and every part of us is perfected. Um, he knew that we would have what we call crunchiness in our relationships. Marianne and I call, uh, when, when there's times in our marriage, when there's times when we don't prefer the company of one another that much, uh, we call that our crunchy times. And it's this sense of, you know, like, uh, there's, there's rigid ridges on me, there's these imperfections all over me, and sometimes her imperfections rub against my imperfections, and it, and it doesn't feel good, and we call it crunchy. And so Jesus knew that we would uh, have those kind of relationships uh, as, until we go home, and, and so he said, hey, this is how you deal with that. This is how you, you handle offense. Um, and, and it's interesting, if, if you've been tracking with us as we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, let me start my timer just to save you guys this morning. Um, you, you'll see that these, these three or four chapters here, Jesus, there's so much relationship things that are happening. The, in the previous, the, the, uh, the, the disciples get around, they're arguing about who's the best d- disciple, uh, who's gonna sit at the right hand of, of Jesus, and it's gonna be me, no, I'm the best, and I'm the best. And, and then Jesus just talks about offense, and then Peter thinks he's so wise, and he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, you've been talking about forgiveness. Should we forgive each other up to seven times? And Jesus blows his mind and says, no. Seven times 70, 490 times you're supposed to, you know, he's not saying count up to 490, but he's just like, just keep on forgiving. And, G- and Peter's like, what? And uh, so this morning, um, we're, man, we're, we're, we're gonna get hit with another doozy. You guys ready for this one? <laughs> it's still in the line of, of relationship, but we're gonna, we're gonna look at divorce and marriage. And uh, somebody said to me, today we're going off-roading. And, um, you know, what we're doing is we're blazing the trail because there are, there are things that God's called us to do as a community. And what I love about preaching through Scripture is, honestly, sometimes I, I read Matthew chapter 19, I go, I'd rather not preach that this morning, right? Um, but Jesus in his love for us and Jesus... Uh, in his wisdom and in his mercy provides for us the ways of life. And so we're not going to skip over these hard texts. Here's, here's my asking of you this morning. I can't qualify everything I'm going to say this morning. Um, I can't try to explain every nook and cranny. Um, this could be honestly like a six or seven week sermon about talking about marriage and divorce. Um, so I'm asking for grace and um, not to try to catch me and uh, like, well, you didn't talk about this. 
Um, so I'm asking for that you would extend grace to me. Um, and I, my heart this morning is to speak and preach truth, but not truth without love. And I know that some of the things that I'm going to say this morning are hard sayings, are hard things to hear. Um, there's nobody in this room, myself included, who hasn't been affected by divorce. Uh, I came from a, a broken family, a divorced family. My, my parents split up when, when I was seven, and I had a, a grandmother who stepped in and uh, kind of mothered me for many of those years, and that's not the way it should have been. Um, and I know that there's people in this room who are either, a, who are going in the, who are currently experiencing the heart, uh, heartache of divorce, maybe contemplating divorce, uh, who are like me, who came from a broken, divorced home. And uh, the, the point of going over Matthew 19 is not so we all feel terrible about ourselves. The point of this is so that we have the same attitude as Jesus about divorce. Um, and so if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we want his same heart for marriage, and we want his same heart for relationship. And um, so if you've been divorced, I'm asking you, will you join with us this morning and say, no, I don't want anyone else to feel that same pain. I don't want anyone else to experience the, the trauma of that. Will you join with us in, in saying, yes, we, we believe in strong marriages. We believe in healthy, godly marriages. And uh, will you join with me in praying and counseling and, and encouraging uh, what the right view of marriage is? Um, and so this, this morning is not to isolate anyone. Um, although this can be polarizing. And um, he, a couple things as well. I wanna say, if you've been divorced, you are not a second-rate Christian. You are not less than. And um, there, is, there is beauty in redemption in Jesus. And uh, if you are sitting here feeling shameful uh, about a past relationship that you had, there is freedom in Christ. And I also want to say to those of us who are married and have never been divorced, you know, I've been married to my wife for 21 years by God's grace. I know you guys are all thinking, 21 years? You only look 21. How is that possible? Uh, yeah. But you're not better than a person who hasn't been divorced. You don't have it all together. Um, you don't have every answer in life, and you're not a better Christian because you haven't been divorced. It's only because of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Um, so, we're committed to vibrant, healthy, strong marriages in this church. Yeah. Let me say that again. We are committed to vibrant, strong, healthy, rocking amazing, beautiful, I mean, I remember getting married when I was first, when I, and I would look to these veterans of marriage, and I go, Lord Jesus, one day can I have a marriage like that? And I think through God's grace, uh, I love my marriage. I love the relationship that I have with my wife. Um, and I believe that in this church, man, I, I want the, the word of divorce to be something foreign for us. Um, the, the whole, the, the attitude of that. So anyways, 
I could ramble on and on and on. You guys get it. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19, and uh, we're going to start in verse, verse 3. Um, yep, yep, verse 3. Now, just a little bit of the context here. Uh, Jesus has been uh, ministering to a lot of non-Jewish. He's been in Galilee, a lot of people. Now he is starting to make his way back to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to be crucified. And as he makes his way back to the Jewish area, um, he, he comes in confrontation, he comes in direct uh, 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 conversation, thank you, when I looked at Natalie, for some reason I just knew the word, um, with two religious leaders. If, if you were to uh, talk about who these kind of guys were today, they'd be like the, the religious elite pastors in the world, and these were the guys who it was their job to talk about uh, religion and philosophy and to explain what uh, Scripture meant. So that common kind of person on the ground who didn't understand Scripture, they would be able to explain it. And so this is what happens in verse 3. It says, and Pharisees came up to him, speaking of Christ, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. If you've ever been at a wedding and you wonder why did they say that every time at a wedding, it's because Jesus said it and he's also quoting Genesis here. Verse seven, then they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs. Now, uh, what's a eunuch? A eunuch in this day was someone who was emasculated. Um, and so what Jesus is speaking about, usually a eunuch would serve a, a queen, and it was usually men who were, um, they, they were kind of asexual, and so they were able to serve a queen without any sexual temptation, okay? Uh, verse 12, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, so some, pe some men were born this way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. They went un undergone a procedure. And there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you're not silent on all things. Thank you that you, you give us the way of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the prize in that, and you, you point us toward yourself. And I, and I just ask this, this morning, help us to lay um, our hearts on your altar, the foot of your cross. Help bring healing this morning where there's been destruction relationally, Help bring right thinking. And uh, Jesus, point us to the lofty and the highness 
of your word and your ways. We, we subject our hearts to you and your word and um, conform us to who you are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so Jesus gives us response to these two Pharisees who are, actually what they're trying to do is trap Jesus. And, and here's what they're referring to. If, if you know what they're speaking about here, uh, if you've read through the Old Testament, the Pharisees are talking about the law of Moses when it comes to divorce. And specifically, they're talking about Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It's on the screen. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts, her, uh, puts it in her hands and sends her out of the house and she departs out of his house. So basically what we're talking about is like there, there was this structure that Moses in his law gave if a man wanted to divorce his wife. And what the Pharisees here are arguing, arguing over is the word indecency. Now, at this time, just to give us some context, there were two uh, rabbinical thoughts. There were two rabbis who were kind of famous in this area of divorce and relationship, and there were two sides. And now, the one conservative side, uh, his name was Shammai, S-H-A-M-M-A-I, and he held to, the, to this understanding that you only can divorce if it is uh, adultery. The word indecency that Moses was talking about is if you caught your wife in adultery. Then there was a more liberal side, and there was a rabbi named Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, and he taught that you could divorce, the word indecency here was anything. It was uh, if your wife burned the food, okay? Um, if, if, you, if you just didn't like her, he, there was even thought in this way to say, if you find somebody who's fairer than your wife, you can divorce her. Now, this is silliness, right? But there's nothing new under the sun. And if you see what's happening in our culture today, it's the same attitude. It's the same attitude toward divorce. And I, I think I'm just going to give us some things of illegitimate reasons why we divorce. And you've probably heard this uh, if you... Uh, I don't know if you're going to watch the Oscars tonight, you know, but a lot of this mentality is in Hollywood or in our culture. You see it on Instagram and you see it in Twitter and all these things, but it's, here's are some of the things that are nothing new under the sun. We're, we're just not compatible anymore. I don't love them anymore. As if somehow you fell in love. I've never fallen in love. I mean, you just trip and boom, oh, I'm in love. I don't. I mean, if you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. Um, anyways, let's not get okay. Um, staring, staying married to my spouse will do more harm than good to the kids. You hear that one? Man, what a selfish reason. We argue all the time. I'm miserable. We've just grown apart. Have you heard this one? They don't fulfill my needs. They've changed or I've changed. I've, I've outgrown you, right? I've grown and they haven't. I do all the work and they do nothing. 
You know, I married a man boy. He wants to play video games all day. And I have to go work. My spouse is not a believer, is not a Christian. Now these are all things that we say, it's even in the culture of the church. And none of these, friends, are reasons for divorce. They may be really hard things. There may be reality. Maybe your spouse is not doing their end of the bargain, so to speak. But Jesus doesn't give us the option for divorce in these things. It's interesting to see how Jesus answers these two Pharisees. So this is what they do. They, they come and they try to trap him and say, okay, Jesus, basically, do you believe that on the conservative side that it's only for this? Or do you believe on the liberal side, both of these? And they're trying to like see, okay, which one is it going to be? Because I can like turn all these sects of Jews against him who believe this side. And, he, and Jesus doesn't even fall for the trap. This is how he answers it. Verses four through six, it says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus doesn't fall for the trap. He just goes back to the original intent of what marriage is. He quotes Genesis and says, let me tell you something. Here's what you're arguing about. You're arguing about divorce, but let me tell you what, let's go back to the original meaning of what marriage is meant to couple of things I want us to understand as we see Jesus' quote here. Some things that should prick our ears and, and shine in our eyes as we read this. Number one is that God created marriage. Marriage is not a man-created institute. A lot of what culture would teach us is that somehow... Two people came together, a man and a woman, and they, they decided, oh, we're going to be monogamous and we want to live, be life partners and we'll never, you know, and so we need to figure out a way or a name for that and an institution for that. Let's call it marriage. That's not the way it worked. God, in his original design for man, remember he says it's not good for man to be alone. He creates Eve. Adam's there alone with all the animals. He looks around and says, Lord, this is not really like footing the bill, <laughs> right? These little ants, uh, you know, that's cool. They're really, really busy. They're good workers. The hippopotamus, you know, I'm, I mean, not feeling it really. I mean, and then God creates Eve. And what does Adam say? Whoa, man, right? And you see the, ver the first kind of poetic romantic love song in the Bible where Adam goes, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This was God's design. We weren't so clever and we figured it out somehow and we were like, well, a man and woman, you know, let's, let's figure that. No, God said it's not good for man and woman to be alone. Put them together, we'll call it marriage. Now that's important if we're understanding marriage because if it's man's design, man can break it up. But if it's God's intent, that holds weight. The uh, other thing you see here is uh, Jesus says, quoting Genesis, that the man should hold fast to his wife. Amen, right? Oh yeah, oh, hold fast, baby. Come on. <laughs> my kids are like, oh my gosh. 
You can see they're like squirming. Oh, how do you think you got here? Okay, <laughs> boom, yeah, roasted. Hold fast, hold fast. It's like sometimes it feels like the ship's going down. Hold fast. Leave your mom and dad behind and hold fast to your wife. But my mom wants me to come over and hold fast to your wife. But my dad said, hold fast to your wife and, you know, hold fast to your husband. And this is the only time where I'm going to say white knuckle it. White knuckle your relationship with your spouse. Don't let go. You know what? Here's the thing. If you have any understanding that divorce is an option, a little cracked door, what happens is that can easily get pushed more and more and more open as temptation, as circumstances, hardships come into your relationship. Any of that. And holding fast says, nope, I'm closing that. Sealing it, medically sealed. No air or water can get in. It is tight. Oh, boy. All right. Hold fast. Then Jesus says, the two have become one. What does one plus one equal? Nope, not in marriage. One plus one equals one. When Marianne hurts, I hurt. When I hurt, Marianne hurts. We don't have two bank accounts. She doesn't have this secret slush fund somewhere that I don't know about. (laughs) The only time that ever is a good thing, during Christmas, right? (laughs) Trying to figure out how to buy something for the other person without them knowing. We have one bank account because we are one person together in this marriage relationship. Marriage is not, I do 50%, this person does 50%, which equals 100%. You've heard it over and over. I do 100%, she does 100%, and it equals 100%. There is no provision, if you see in this language, for divorce in the creation of marriage. Jesus did not intentionally, God did not intentionally, when he designed creation of marriage, he didn't say, the two shall become one, and I'll put a clause in there. If this happens, then go ahead and do this. What God has joined together, and again, this goes back to the fact that God's the author, he's the originator, he's the one who put it together. How arrogant of us. How dastardly of us if we think somehow we know better than God when it comes to our relationships, that we somehow can break apart what God has put. Scripture says this, that God hates divorce. Malachi, or Malachi if you're Italian, <laughs> says this in, in two, chapter 2, verse 16. This is the NLT. It says, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of the heavens. Armies, so guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Why does God hate divorce? Why does God hate it? I think there's two reasons. Number one is it rips us apart. 
it rips us apart. If the two become one, and excuse, this is not meant to be fantasical, I don't know, like, I'm not trying to shock you here with this, but if I were to just literally not cut my arm off, but just rip it off, it would be gruesome. It would, there would be just, it would be messy, not in just, it wouldn't be surgical. It, it would be just things hanging and, and veins and arteries and parts of bones and blood dripping everywhere because it's part of me. And if I say, no, I no longer need that anymore. I'm just going to like draw and quarter myself, rip it off. It's a messy mess. And that's what happens when we divorce. The two are joined together and it rips apart. The other thing I think, I believe why God hates divorce is because it distorts the meaning of what marriage is. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the meaning of marriage? Um, this is, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, verse 32. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What is this mystery? So Paul lays this, this uh, case out before the Ephesian readers, and he talks about this relationship between husbands and wives, and he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as Christ submits to the Father. And, and he talks about this beautiful relationship between husband and wife. And then Paul, what he says, he goes, I'm not, I'm not specifically only talking about just marriage. What I'm saying is this mystery, this beautiful nature of the relationship between man and woman, what I'm saying is it reflects the nature of Jesus and the church. And friends, this is where we get it so wrong, is because somehow we've let it creep into our minds that our marriage is for our own benefit, for our own happiness, for our own satisfaction. And what God has designed marriage for is to reflect the beautiful nature of Jesus laying down his life for his church. And the church saying, thank you, Jesus. I love you so much. I'm going to therefore lay my life down for you. And I'm going to serve you and do whatever you call me to do. And there's this symbiotic relationship between Christ and the church and church and Christ. And, and our marriages are meant to reflect that. Marriage was created to be a reflection. In other words, when someone looks at marriage, they are meant to see Jesus and his bride. Whoa. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some people about to get married pretty soon in this church. We're going to announce them pretty soon. I'm just not, I'm not spoiling it yet, okay? And, you know, Marianne and I will often do marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and what we do is we, we, we tell the, the, the fiancés, okay, write your vows, don't share them with each other yet. And I just ask them, how much of your vow has to do with how the other person makes you feel? How much of your vows are the reason why you want to marry them is because you, you, you've just come alive when you're around them. You, you, you just feel so good and they, they fulfill all your needs. And then what I do is, of course, it's a bait and switch, right? I go, that is the opposite, uh, exact wrong reason to get married. And they're like, oh, should we get married anymore? I don't know. I go, I don't know. You ask yourself that question. 
Because in a marriage vow, what it's supposed to be is, I'm marrying them because I want to give myself completely to them. Even as if they treat me like dirt, I will be there for them for the rest of my life. Even if they never say, I love you, I will love them till eternity. Even if they never do anything for me, if they never serve me, if he never washes the dishes, if I never get great sex from her, if I, this, this, and this, and this, I will lay my life down completely for this person because I love them. This is what Piper says, John Piper, in his book, This Momentary Marriage. He says this about the reflection. Christ's new covenant with his church is created by and sustained by blood-bought grace. Therefore, human marriages are meant to showcase that new covenant grace. And the way husbands and wives showcase it is by resting in the experience of God's grace and bending it out, uh, uh, sorry, and bending it out from a vertical experience with God into a horizontal experience with their spouse. In other words, in marriage you live hour by hour in glad dependence on God's forgiveness and justification and promised future grace and you bend it toward your spouse hour by hour as an extension of God's forgiveness and justification and promised help. Isn't that good? He reminds us of this grace that you and I have received in Christ, those of us who are Christians, and then this is meant to reflect in our marriage. I receive this and then I bend it. I'm like plumbing with the, 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 the angled joint and it comes down, it comes into me, but then I don't keep it for myself and I push it toward my spouse. And then when others see that, They see the beauty of when every time Marianne hurts my feelings, every time I sin against my wife, what happens there? Well, I'm I'm gonna fold my arms and walk away from you and I'm gonna do what the world does and you no longer satisfy me anymore, so I'm gonna go find somebody else who satisfies me. No, what I do is I'm going to extend the same grace that God gave me in my relationship with him and I'm gonna extend it to my wife. So when people see, ah, yeah, he hurt her, she hurt him, that's okay, there's grace to extend and they go, what is this grace? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just go find somebody else who's prettier, stronger, better, younger, the new model? Why wouldn't you do that? Because I'm reflecting what Jesus did for me. And my marriage exists to show others the beauty of that relationship. Think about how many times we've cheated, so to speak, on Jesus? Think about how many times you've broken Jesus' heart, proverbially. Jesus doesn't say, that's it. I've had enough. I can only take so much. No, Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfied that fully on the cross. And our marriages are meant to reflect that same forgiveness. Then the Pharisees ask, well, then why did Moses command a certificate? And Jesus says, listen, Moses never commanded divorce. It's only because of your hardness of heart. It's only because of sin. It's only because you just wouldn't have it any other way. So, 
Does the Bible ever permit divorce? It's a great question. And I think Scripture helps us answer that. Let me say this before I give us a couple reasons. I want to say that Scripture never encourages or commands divorce. And this is a really bold statement, but divorce is never necessary. And my commitment, the leadership of this church, church's commitment to us, I will never encourage someone to get a divorce. I will always encourage reconciliation and relationship to be bound back up because I believe God in his grace is bigger than any other sin that we could ever commit. I, by God's grace, if Marianne were to be unfaithful to me, I would still pursue her. And I'm hoping that if for some if I'm not saying, I will never cheat on my wife. I don't think she'll ever cheat on me. But I'm human, right? We're human. I'm not trying to put my... But I'm hoping, and by God's grace, if I were to ever be unfaithful, Marianne would pursue reconciliation with me. Somehow we've got it in our minds that this is crossing the line, and so therefore it's necessary. If we look at Scripture, it never points us to divorce. To divorce. It always points us to reconciliation. But it does permit divorce. When does it do that? Two things, I think. Scripture only ever permits divorce in cases of infidelity, sexual immorality. And you see here Jesus saying, verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual, sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. If, if there is infidelity in a marriage and, and, and it has just gone to the point where you aren't able to extend grace, then God provides a provision in that sense, okay? The other, the other sense, the other um, permission for divorce is abandonment or willful desertion by a spouse. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7.15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And uh, I believe that scripturally, these are the only two reasons uh, that God allows us for divorce. Um, you, you might ask the question, what about uh, abuse, physical spousal abuse? I would say if that is a situation, then you need to separate. Please let one of the leaders in the church know we will do whatever it takes to protect you. We'll have you in our home, your kids. It doesn't matter. We will protect you. But our encouragement will always be, how can we reconcile? Is it possible for us to bring the grace of God into this situation. Should I remarry if I have divorced for unbiblical reasons? And we're getting into nitty gritty, right? But I think these are some questions maybe some of us are thinking, should I remarry if I have divorced for unbiblical reasons? And this is a hard thing for me to say, but I believe scripturally it's a no. I believe that um, what God is calling us to, if, if for some reason you are in a, in a place where you are divorced and you're not remarried yet and you're thinking about getting remarried, and if you were to think about um, why you got divorced, if it was like, you know, we just 
argued all the time and we just couldn't work out, you know, all the typical things that a lot of people get divorced for, I would say that Scripture does not give us an, an out for getting remarried. What if I've divorced and remarried without biblical grounds? And that's a lot of what the culture is, right? There may be some here in this room. The question is, should I, should I divorce my spouse now that I've been remarried to? No, okay? Do not do that. Um, you know, should I, should I get a divorce and then try to get back with my old No, that's not, that's not what Scripture's telling us. That would be unwise because uh, the institution of marriage is marriage. So if you've been remarried, you are remarried and you are free in Christ because thou, that is the union of what God's put together. But I would say this with a caveat. I would ask you the question, have you repented of your previous relationship? Have you said, God, please forgive me for divorcing for an unbiblical reason? Give it to God, and then here's the beautiful thing. God goes, I forgive you. Set you free. Flourish now in your marriage now. Sorry, guys, some hard stuff. Let me end with these two things. I want to encourage us to understand marriage is not the answer to happiness. For those of us who have been divorced and maybe you've gone through a painful divorce and you haven't been remarried and your hope is that somehow I will be remarried because this will give me fulfillment again, you are looking in the wrong place for fulfillment we can only be truly satisfied in Christ. Maybe you're single here this morning and you're, you're wanting to get married because you think if I get married to this person, that person, then I'll have it all. It'll fulfill me. I'll feel so much better. I'm a, you know, we'll have the, the two kids and the, the dog and the white picket fence and it'll make me feel happy and all those things. Again, you're looking in the wrong place because fulfillment is not in marriage. Fulfillment only comes in Christ. Man, if I'm looking to Mary Ann to give my fulfillment, to my, my sustenance, my, my relationship void, I'm looking in the wrong place. As great as Mary Ann is, she's, a, she's, a great per- she's probably like one of the best people in the world, okay? She, I mean, on, and I'm not saying that to earn points, babe. But if it works, are you writing that down? I mean, honestly, I don't know of like a better person than my wife. Um, but you know what? As good as Marianne is, she's bad too. <laughs> and I don't, mean, I don't mean bad in the good sense. <laughs> Some people are like, you know, like they talk about wanting to get the newer model, right? Like, oh, exchange your... your I'm like, what in the world? I've been married for 20 years. It's taken me 21 years to figure this woman out. Now, why would I want to restart with somebody else, you know? If I'm looking to my wife to fulfill me, man, I'm going to be up and down because if Marianne's up one day, I'm going to be up one day. If Marianne's down one day, I'm going to be down. You know who the one who's never up and down, who's constant? The one who's always the same? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it's Jesus. Singles, you know, Jesus talks about the eunuchs here. Let's let's take that into singleness. 
He says a hard thing in verses 10 through 12. He says, the disciples said to him, man, Jesus, if, you're, if you have this high view of marriage, if such is the case of man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And then Jesus says this, not everyone can receive the saying, speaking about like it's better not to marry. Not everyone can, but only those to whom it's been given. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is those who are celibate and those who are single, he's saying there's a grace that it can be extended to you for that. Why is there a grace for that? Because if Jesus is the only one who fully satisfies, then I as a single or as I as a celibate can be fully satisfied apart from being with a spouse. I can find my identity, I can find my purpose apart from a relationship, an earthly one, and a vertical relationship with a heavenly one. And for those of us who may have been divorced, even in your current marriage, this is true for us. We're called to be eunuchs in the sense of being fully satisfied and the only one who can fully satisfy us. Jesus has a high view of marriage and so should we. So I'm going to give us three really practical points here this morning. Strong marriages don't just happen. I have not been married to my wife for 21 years in wedded bliss. (laughs) For 21 years because we just kind of let it happen. Marianne, don't take this in the wrong way, but marriage is hard work. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that gets better by sitting on the shelf in the dark is wine. Marriage is a lot of work. So I'm going to give us three things to help us work on our marriages. If you think of, this is cliche, but if you think of marriage like a garden, you got to pull the weeds, you got to kill the pests, uh, you got to till the soil. This is what I think some of these things are. Number one, evaluate the meaning of your marriage. So, in other words, is your marriage a me-focused marriage? Does your marriage exist for your happiness? Or does your marriage exist to reflect the beautiful nature of Christ in the church? That'll affect every decision you make as a husband. That'll reflect every, affect every decision you make as a wife. If I am meant to put on display the gospel in my marriage, then I can't be given over to selfishness or fulfillment, or not extending grace. So, ask yourself. Evaluate the meaning of your marriage. Number two, continue with the gospel. Recognize that you are a sinner in need of continual sanctification. (laughs) So, when two people come together, it's not one really good person and one bad person. It's not two really great people. What marriage is, is two sinners taking that times two, or exponentially, right? It's two sinners coming together. It's two wills. It's two selfishnesses. That's a word. Coming together. You never realized how selfish you were until you got married. 
I could eat whatever I wanted. I could sleep in to whenever I wanted. I could stay up to whenever I wanted. I could spend money however I wanted when I was single. When I got married, nope. I live for the benefit of another person. And you, as a spouse, need to understand that you aren't perfect and you are in continual need of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and his work in your life. Number three, surround yourself with healthy marriages. Hey, uh, I'm going to tell you something. I've learned so much about marriage. I remember there was a guy named Chris and Meryl Venon. And I remember us being young, new bucks in in the marriage world. I would just want to sit around Chris and Meryl and just want to say, tell me how do you love your wife? Tell me how you lead your family. Tell me, and and, and it wasn't just him telling, it was me observing and me hanging around him. And me trying to be like Chris, somehow, as a, as a husband, as a dad. And uh, I want to encourage you, if, you, if you're struggling as a, as, a, as a couple, man, get around some strong marriage. We have some strong, beautiful marriages in this church. Uh, your life group leaders, the elders, wh- whoever it is, get around some and say, will you rub off on me? Will you show me how to forgive? Will you, will, can I see it in your home? Will you invite me in your home? I just need, we, we're desperate. We're not doing this well. We, we need some of you to rub off on us. Um, and so my encouragement is to you, get around some healthy marriages. All right, that is, we've gone way over time. Will you stand with me this morning?